get ready to take your branding to the next level. This is Million Dollar Branders. We know what it takes to build million dollar brands because we live it and breathe it. And now we're sharing our tips and success secrets with you. Here's your host, Justine Pogroski. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the Million Dollar Branders podcast. It's such an honor and a privilege to have you on here. You know, many times when people ask me how I built my million dollar brand and how I built my business, I always say that you were actually behind it from reading your book Inside Out. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being my driving force behind my business, behind my negotiation skills. And for those of you who don't know who Mr. Chris Voss is, you should. I highly recommend you read his book, Never Split the Difference, but Chris is a former lead FBI negotiator and dynamic speaker who debunks the biggest myths of negotiation. Chris engages all groups with captivating stories, insights, and useful tips for business and everyday life. And he's lectured on negotiations at business schools across the country in the US and I think globally. You've been seen on ABC, CBS, CNN, Fox News, and also been featured in Forbes, Time, Fast Company, and Inc. And your keynotes are based on your book, Never Split the Difference, which I love. It's like my Bible. Um, not to mention your masterclass, which is just phenomenal. But Chris, let's jump straight into it. How do you define negotiation and what role do you think it plays in our daily lives? Yeah, it really, for me, it's collaboration. It's great collaboration, which is designed to be long-term, trusted relationship, long-term prosperity for everybody. And um, uh, in a negotiation I was just in the other day, our intermediary um, where we've come to an agreement in principle with Mark Wahlberg's production company, wow. potentially about a, um, a reality show, if you will, not scripted about negotiation. Graduation. And, uh, Sounds the, awesome. agent, the agent um, on both sides is, uh, you know, is the same agent is in the middle of this. He's brought a couple of clients together and the, uh, the offer and the ask were different over the terms and I called, I called Amir um, with uh, WME on a phone. And I said, look, just, you know, put us all on a, on a conference call together. And I said, we just want to be heard. And I know they just want to be heard. Because when you're talking to an intermediary, you know, you don't get to hear the other person's voice. And, and, and Amir was, a, you know, he's not used to dealing with people as collaborative as we are. Uh, myself and my partner in this, Nick Nanton, who did uh, produced a documentary film about my company. Mm. And we're both highly collaborative. And, um, you know, Amir joking around, he says, you know, well, you are the master negotiator. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm a master collaborator. We want great relationships that last for 20 years. You know, we're not going to get on the phone and yell at these guys. And and we want to hear them. We want them to hear us. So, so don't think of me as a master negotiator. Collaboration is about a great long-term relationship. And, and that's how I define negotiation. Absolutely. I love it. And especially in today's times, collaboration, I think, is everything. Amazing. And in your book, which I absolutely love, I'm going to plug it again, Never Split the Difference, you talk about the importance of empathy in negotiations. How can one cultivate empathy and why is it crucial for successful negotiations, Chris? Yeah, everybody's got it in them. And let's just, let's define empathy really as just people smarts. 
Um, not sympathy, not compassion. Now, compassion in particular is, is usually the reaction to empathy. Um, but empathy is just uh, people smarts understanding where somebody's coming from. And, you know, so you can have people smarts about somebody you disagree with and you don't even like, but you can have people smarts and deal with them in a way that makes them feel respected, disagreed with and respected simultaneously. So you asked me what, what empathy is. Empathy is about saying how the other side sees things out loud. A lot of people say empathy is being able to see it from their perspective. That's essential and inadequate. You not only have to see it from their perspective, but check in with them to see how accurate your perception is. And most definition of empathy doesn't include you saying like, here's how I think you see things and then laying it out. Or, or before I disagree with you, here's what I think your position is. And then laying it out. Laying out verbalizing what you think their position is, is a critical aspect to tactical empathy, which is applied people smarts. So applying it, actually saying it out loud, not using it to make a better argument. A lot of people make that mistake. All right, if I see it from their position, therefore I can make a better argument, more persuasive argument. That's not it. You gotta check first, if what you think their position is, you got to check in with them to see if you're accurate. And that's really what tactical empathy is. I think we all could use a bit of tactical empathy in our everyday lives on an everyday basis. <laughs> and, and, and and let me jump back in on this if I can for a second, because oh. you talked about using the book. And I love that because you used it. You know, you didn't just read it and let it be food for thought. I mean, it really is an accelerator and a game changer when you practice it and everybody has it in them, you know, you have it in you, not just because you're extraordinary and you are. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. You had it in you because you just decided to learn. That's, that's all it takes because everybody's got the capacity. But I will say this, um, you have a lot of swag. <laughs> so it's awesome to learn from you and anyone who hasn't read your book or followed you, I mean, you just need to go do the masterclass. You don't like reading, go do Chris's masterclass. I can't wait to find out more about what you're doing. But to throw a spanner back in the works and, you know, it's talking about tactical empathy and empathy, which you're so brilliant at describing. How do you negotiate with someone who actually has no empathy towards you? Um, <clears throat> so most people if they define empathy as sympathy or compassion mm. then then that becomes the problem but it, it, most people don't understand people on the other side of the table anyway like most people you know they understand themselves i mean it's my my harvard brothers and sisters call this projection bias mm. i'm going to analyze you analyze you based on who i am which is right only about a third of the time max mm. So that's, you know, people really don't see it from other people's perspective Absolutely. if, if they, if they share a different experience in life and, and most people share a different experience in life, you know, this whole common ground thing, like I see things, the world vastly differently. I've got three sisters <laughs> vastly differently than any of my sisters see it. Man, we, we couldn't share more common ground. I mean, pick common ground, pick 
education, pick geographical history, pick ethnic history, pick religious wow. history. Like we got every aspect of common ground that most people think of as common ground. We played the same sports growing up. We all played baseball, softball, you know, Midwestern blue collar, Protestant, small town environment. And we see the world vastly differently. Well, you know, what is empathy? Seeing it from the other person's perspective. That's what it really is. And, and most people just don't. So if you, the other person might not have sympathy for you, but the ability to perceive how you see things is the capacity that everybody has. Part of the negotiation skills are how do I gently get my perspective across also? I mean, I'll use skills, you know, the famous phrase that the book starts with, how am I supposed to do that? As a way of saying no, is a way to make the other pe person see things from your perspective, and my son Brandon called that a long time ago. He he referred to that as forced empathy. Mm. You know, how am I supposed to do what you ask? Requires for you to consider my position. It doesn't require you to agree with it, and it doesn't even require require you to say it out loud. But it does make you look at. It. I loved in your book how you were describing. You know how they put you in a room with the Harvard professors, and the, and you said they said, you know, you, we've got your son, and you just kept going. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, how am I supposed to do that? So I think that's a brilliant strategy, and I wanted to make sure our listeners get that and really, um, you know, ask those questions if they need to in their own life. But I think one yeah. of the the missing traits in our society, everyone's so busy on their phones and, you know, in social media and engulfed in this digital world. And you emphasize something really important, which is active listening in negotiation. And I think just in life in general, I think that's a key attribute to have. How can one become a better listener? And what are the benefits of the skill in a negotiation setting? Yeah, it, it it's... As simple as practice, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and I don't even, we don't even use the term active listening anymore. We, you know, it's proactive or it's contemplative listening or it's reflective listening. Like for you to actually think about what the other person says and reflect on it. Um, I heard a speaker refer to it as a, a species of reason. Mm. Like it's, it's think stuff through to actually reflect upon what somebody said and consider the implications. And um, it ain't that hard. Um, it's awkward if you haven't been doing it. And most people haven't. So there's a difference between whether or not it's complicated or awkward. And it's a part of the brain that in point of fact, everyone possesses, but it's probably going to sleep. It's going dormant. Yes. Which means um, you can wake it up. You know, it's not it's not use it or lose it. It's use it or it goes to sleep. And with <laughs> practice, you know, you can you can wake it up. And actually, when you start to practice, it's a lot of fun because you can really you don't need to read somebody's mind if you can read their emotions. And then then it actually becomes a lot of fun. Very true. And we know you've had a lot of fun. I mean, you're such an expert in this, but I do love negotiation. And I think it's such an important skill to have. 
And I mean, the body language, let's talk about that because we, we basically just touched on emotional, you know, um, negotiation. But when it comes to body language in negotiation, which I think is so important, especially when it's used effectively, let's talk about the digital realm that we're in now. So how do you gauge or read signals on Zoom via facial language, you know, or, or well, you know, skills? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And what I think we really lose on Zoom more than anything else is I think there's an actual feel for being in the room. I think, you know, the, the science is still measuring it and quantifying it. But, you know, whether or not they, you know, the Eastern philosophers would call it auras, I think we actually put out an energy. That's what's lost on Zoom because on Zoom, you almost have as, uh, as much body language to read as you do if you were sitting around a conference table. I mean, if you're at a conference table, you're reading right. people from the waist up. If you're on Zoom, you're reading people from the waist up. And, and I think the thing that has really thrown people off is the feel for being in the room that's gone. Now, how, how do you make that up? Um, really, there's so much in the voice. And to me, it seems relatively easy to every hostage negotiator because all we ever had was the voice yes. on the phone. And if if that's how you learn, you, then you you sort of dig into the, the depth of that and it's there. Absolutely. So then a question might be, well, what if I've only got text or email? And if you look at that as a supplement and not as your, your only means then you can supplement them with the occasional conversation and it's all right. And then, you know, you read, you read somebody's, you start to read somebody's text and you think about context and then you check in with them. Like you can text them back and say, you know, I can't tell if you're angry or happy right now. <laughs> and, and then they'll, then they'll let you know, you know, you ask. <laughs> A lot of people are afraid to ask, huh? and it's such a simple question. I absolutely love that. I've never actually, I'm going to try that. That's brilliant. And so, I mean, that was one piece of advice. Is there any other advice that you have for people negotiating in this virtual or remote setting? We even have the metaverse now. It's crazy what's going on where people are wearing Oculus glasses and they, I'm sure they, there's going to be like negotiations with their virtual avatars soon, which is just going to be hilarious. But um, what you know, when it comes to nonverbal cues that may be harder to read, are there any top tips that you can give our audience on, you know, let's call it digital negotiation? <laughs> I'll be willing to check in, um, you know, to, to start with on, on the digital negotiation, first of all, they're, they're going to read your digital communications in the mood they happen to be in they happen to be in when they read it versus the mood you were in when you sent it. <laughs> and then unfortunately there's, there's, there's less warmth in more digital communications and unless uh, you go out of your way to make sure that they know what it is. Like they, I think is somebody was playing for me or, or a, a hysterical um, video from, I think, um, Jordan and Peele, maybe a couple comedians that are hysterical, but you know, the one guy is sent in the text and he's saying like, um, he, he, he says it out loud and he's like, well, whatever. And the other guy reads it and he goes, whatever. 
you know, like she could just the chances of it being, and then they meet up with each other, and one guy's happy, walks into the bar happy to see the other guy, and the other guy walks in with a baseball bat with nails sticking out of it because he thinks he's coming to a fight. <laughs> it's a perfect you know, so, But then the other upside is there is so much digital communication mm. that your counterpart is actually hungry for somebody who will actually listen. Mm. There's nobody to listen. So... You know, it's not that they don't want to get on the phone with you. It's they don't want to get on the phone with another person that doesn't listen. When you become somebody who listens, they're delighted to talk because you're listening. So there's actually a great tactical advantage to the fact that everybody's digital and nobody's listening. What happens when you listen? Yes. You're the one on earth they want to talk to. That is so true. Wow. I hope people are writing this down. So listen, people. And can you, can you share some strategies for dealing with very difficult negotiate, negotiator? Ne, ah, can you please share some strategies for dealing with difficult negotiators who seem to have unreasonable demands? Yeah, well, and that's that's what tactical empathy is all about. You know, it was originally designed to deal with the most difficult negotiators mm -hmm. with the most unreasonable demands. And then the how disarming it mm -hmm. is to just demonstrate an understanding of the other side. So, you know, if somebody's being really difficult and re really unreasonable. Yes. What can you surmise? And then make a scientifically educated emotional intelligence guess. Well, if they're difficult and unreasonable, they probably feel like they're under a lot of pressure. So that's how you respond. Hey, it seems like you're under a lot of pressure here. That's a real, diag that's a diagnostic. If somebody's being difficult and unreasonable, they're either predatory or defensive they might be coming after you they might be using it as a tool of manipulation mm -hmm. that's a possibility it's only about 20 percent of the time yes 80 percent of the time they are defensive and they're lashing out defensively if you demonstrate understanding 80 percent of the time it's going to deactivate that Wow. If it doesn't deactivate it, what your diagnostic has just told you is they're predatory. Mm. Now you are far more informed as to what you're dealing with and how to proceed. Hmm. That is absolutely brilliant. And in your experience, what are some top mistakes people have made when negotiating and how can they be avoided? I mean, we've spoken about not listening I think not not reading like verbal cues. Is there anything else that you can share with us? Well, yeah, there is it, I mean, one of the you know top two tips. Um one of them is let the other side go first. Like there's a lot, a lot, a lot of information out there that says you go first, you make a case, you anchor uh the zone of possible agreement to use a term than my academics like. Mm. So how do you know you're not anchoring in the wrong spot? Like, how do you know that there isn't more there 
than you could have got. Or the real problem with going first and anchoring is how do you know you're not driving away a deal that you should have made? Huh. There are too many houses there that make going first problematic. So if you let the other side go first, you're actually gathering a lot of information. You're picking up a lot of uh, data, facts, perspectives that in, enlighten you and inform you. And the other side feels really good because they want to go first. And you made them feel good. <laughs> so, you know, let the other side go first. He or she who speaks first loses more than they win. Excellent. Now, the other, the other part, too, is don't beat yourself before you get to the table. Like, whatever your ask is, never say to yourself, ah, you know, that's a, that's a non-starter, so I'm not going to bring it up. Like, the conversation that I referred to um, over the p potential television show, they didn't, I didn't necessarily expect them to give us everything that we were asking for because... They gave us a lot to begin with. It was it was a great proposition to start with. And there were key aspects that we actually thought that they probably wouldn't give us. Yes. We wanted them to hear us say it. Like, we didn't beat ourselves before we went to the table. My colleague and I, Nick, talked in advance, and we said, you know, this is, this is one of the most generous offers on non-monetary terms that we'd ever gotten. Like my diagnosis from the very beginning of the other side's offer was these were genuine guys who wanted to make a really legitimate deal. Now, there were a couple of things that we had hesitation on in principle. Yes. And we just wanted to hear us. We wanted them to give us, we wanted them to hear us and then think about it in advance. And we wanted them to consciously make the decision to us, yes or no. And we're going to live with whatever it was. But I wanted to make the act. I wanted them to hear it out of my mouth. I, I never, never let anybody wonder what I wanted because I always let them know. I let them know nicely mm. and I give them the option to say yes or no. But never beat myself before I get to the table. Never. That is the most brilliant life advice. So thank you for dropping such a valuable diamond. I think that is something that ever, I mean, that that's a life lesson right there, not just in negotiation. And negotiation, I mean, we use it every day. We use those skills every day in everything we do. How can it be applied in personal relationships, such as with family and friends? Yeah, well, if you if you define it the way I do, which yeah. is a collaborative relationship for the long term, what that does is it changes where you're coming from. Yes. Which means that you're trying to be family and friends, you should be collaborative for the long term. You should want them to do well. Absolutely. And then it becomes acceptable. Now, if negotiation is a tool to exploit other people, that's not acceptable with family and friends because you're going to pay the price. You know, it's a bad idea mm. to exploit your family and your friends. So it's really where you're coming from. Then then also, if if your best interests, their best interests are in your heart also, as they should be, Yes. with everybody, his family and friends, they're going to feel that. You know, they're going to want to be understood. They're, they're going to want to share with you. Sometimes, if this is a new approach for you, it's going to take them a while to get used to it. And for most people, it is a little bit of a new approach. Or, you know, with family, especially with family, I mean, 
both of you have wounds that yeah. the other side doesn't even know. <laughs> like, you know, I was, I, I, several years ago, I'm, I'm in, um, I, you know, I'm always learning wherever I can. I go to the landmark forum in LA, which is about being a better person yes. and forgiving yeah. people. Yeah. And going back to the promises you originally made and, and renewing those promises. So anyway, there's a, there's a young lady in there that's been carrying a wound inside of her since she was 12 years old. Hmm. And when she, when she was 12, uh, another of the girls in her, in her group uh, got together and let's say her name was Susie. And they, they all said, we just formed the I Hate Susie Club. Oh. Now, this girl is in her 30s and she's still carrying the pain of that moment. And as it turns out, one of the people in that group was a family member, not a sibling, but a family member, a member of her extended family. And she finally let it go after 20 some years. She'd been carrying this wound. Wow. And in order to let it go, you know, they encouraged everyone to go back and talk to the person if possible and say, look, um, I'm letting this go. So she goes to the family member and her family member genuinely has no memory of it. Like it was such a silly thing for a preteen girl to have done at the time. She gave it no thought at the moment. And, and so she's got a, she got a cousin carrying a wound on an instant. She didn't even remember. Wow. Which is kind of what family's going through. I mean, you, you got, you got a wound inside you from a, a sibling or a cousin and they genuinely don't even remember it happening. Mm. That's what family's struggling with. The other side is mystified that you're angry because they don't they don't remember it happened. Yes. And especially when it comes to boundaries, like I, I think even like, you know, it's I call it like soft negotiation, but it's I, I think it's so true what you said. You know, people have to become comfortable with your boundaries. And you know, it it does base back to that. So thank you so much for that. And in your professional negotiations, when pitching prospects, investors, clients, how would you handle when they say, this is my worst line in the world, but let's keep in touch and circle back with me in six months. How would you negotiate that rebuttal? It hasn't happened often to me, but even with my clients, it happens to them all the time. So I'd love to touch on this. Well, you know, that's, um, that's a maybe, or I'll try. I mean, that's somebody politely trying to say, this doesn't work. Yes. So what you really need to say is, very respectfully, you say, look, it, it just sounds like this doesn't work for you. <laughs> and I want to maintain the relationship. And so when it might work for you, and when I can be the person that will be there for you for 20 years, Love that. Get back to me. But as of right now, respectfully, I want to recognize that you're trying, I appreciate you trying to spare my feelings. It's very kind of you. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like this just doesn't work. And so let's recognize that and maintain our relationship. And when I can be the person that can be there for you, you let me know. I love it because that's so clear and concise and so genuine. And honestly, it's hard to find in the world these days. So 
I, I also, I mean, I have a mentor out of New York um, and he's he's been a key figure in my negotiation skills. I know he also follows you. His name's Tej. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's big in M&A and investment and he's a banker, but he focuses more on EQ, not, not so much IQ. And um, he's always reminded me that we've got to have BATNA for negotiations as well as the non-negotiable boundaries. I think he was one of my main um, teachers besides from you. Do you do all of this for your own negotiations? And what is your thought on this approach? Well, we stick, uh, there's, there are two things, uh, uh, um, one, one yes, one no. Um, yeah, boundaries, you got, you got to have clear boundaries. It's, it's not a sin to not get the deal. It's a sin. It's not a sin to not get the deal. It's a sin to get a bad deal. <laughs> that is so Which true. Means, you know, know what your boundaries are. And, and then what people want, people want to know your boundaries. I mean, actually, they, and they want to see you stick to them respectfully. Yes. You know, to, to not lash out like a cornered um, animal when you're shoved to your boundaries. Because yeah. if they didn't know they were there and suddenly you're lashing out, they're like, where's this coming from? You know, this was hidden from. So there's a difference between boundaries and BATNA, you know, your alternatives. So first, yes, have boundaries. And communicate them early, so the other side isn't blindsided. Respectfully, and and we do that. You know, there's some very specific ways, a well-crafted question, calibrate. How am I supposed to do that? Is communicating boundaries. Yes. Now, Batna, Batna, um, uh, philosophically, is a great idea. What are your alternatives? Because it's designed for you to relax, for you not to feel cornered, for you not to feel desperate, for you not to take yourself hostage. Absolutely. So that, that's the theoretical construct there, which, you know, academically, it makes sense. And some people need that. You know, but to me, it's like walking a tightrope with or without a net. Like if, if you got used to always walking a tightrope without a net, the baton of the alternative, it's no big deal. And so, but if you always have to have an alternative, the problem is when you don't like your alternative, you freak out. So do you get used to always walking the tightrope without a net and then it's no big deal? Yeah, that's what a hostage negotiator, to me, that was the biggest thing. Hostage negotiators, we never had a net. And so we're like, okay, that's, those are the rules of the game. I'm, I'm going to get in here. I'm going to do a great job. The fact that the alternatives are horrible doesn't rattle me because that's the way I trained. Yes. So if you just train yourself, then not having alternatives is no big deal. It's no big deal to me. But <laughs> to some people, if you, oh, I got to have an alternative. If you don't have one, you just took yourself hostage. Well, you really are a weapon at this. I absolutely love it. You've got like a black belt. <laughs> what is the most difficult negotiation circumstance you've ever been under? We're talking about, you know, pushing yourself with no net now, which I love. So for anyone's list, for anyone actually listening, you know, like, can you, can you tell us about that experience? Well, um, we, we learned, we learned, uh, we taught, you know, and I learned it the hard way. You're not going to make every deal in hostage negotiation. You're not going to make every deal. Yeah. And then, then they, they teased out the thought like, well, is, is there a consistent pattern of behavior 
mm. high risk indicators of somebody's not going to make the deal. And we found that there were, there were some very reliable, very strong indicators, patterns that would begin to emerge over and over. So in a hostage negotiation, when we saw those patterns, we had to recognize it and, and adjust accordingly, you know, get ready to assault because there ain't no deal here. Hmm. And how do we conduct ourselves in order to set up assault? It, this, there's the same thing in business, except in business, you should walk away. You know, we couldn't stop communicating in hostage negotiation because we're trying to buy a team because we're going to set up a, a SWAT assault or a military assault because the deal was never there. And in business, in point of fact, that is the case on a regular basis. So instead of assaulting, you just politely withdraw. Yes. And it is scary to begin with. But if you understand, the black swan method gives you your best chance of success. Not a guarantee. Yes. Just better than other method. And as soon as you relieve yourself from having to make every deal, you will be much more effective. Gosh, what a masterclass this has been. And Chris, I always ask my, ask my guests, what is a million dollar brand to you on the show? But I think in your case, my audience probably wants to know through your words, and we all know you're a master negotiator, but what is a master negotiator? What does it mean to you? And is there such a thing? Yeah, it's somebody that makes great deals and... You, you almost never hear anything negative about it. Like my two favorites are Warren Buffett and Oprah Winfrey. Me too. Love them. And when do you hear anybody bad mouth on Oprah? Now, Oprah has made deals all over the place with some of the most difficult people on the planet, like Hollywood celebrities. Yes, interesting. That'd be more difficult. And you don't hear celebs bad mouth on Oprah uh, across the board. And I've heard some very accurate descriptions of very pointed conversations that Oprah has had with highly volatile people, and they listened to her. And they either she, she was either chastising them or making the deal. And I know those people's names and they're not complaining about her. So she treats people with respect at all times. Like every, every interaction I've ever heard, and I've spoken to people who've been very close to her, the one message that's always there is that Oprah generally cares about people, the person, whether or not they make the deal. Hmm. And that's, that's what I really love about that. Cause she didn't go from being a poor black female I, from wherever she grew up. I, I didn't. I know she made most of her career in Chicago. I actually don't know if she's originally from Chicago. Yes. But she didn't come as far as she's come in life without making a lot of deals. That's very and true. She, she just, there is no negativity in her wake. Absolutely. And what about Warren Buffett now that we are? What do you love about him? What do you see in his patterns? Well, this, the same thing. I mean, he's not, he, people don't badmouth him. He's not confrontational. I've, I've heard people talk about him. And when Warren Buffett has a problem with somebody, whether they disagree or the person is toxic, what he does is withdraw very gently. He's mm -hmm. not confrontational. 
He doesn't yell at people. He doesn't raise his voice. Um, they are impressed with how gently he withdraws and he, and he withdraws. Yes, absolutely. So for someone looking, let's say they, they're new to, to negotiation and they, they're just starting out. I mean, obviously they're going to go and buy your book, Chris, because they should and follow you and do your masterclass. But besides from that, um, can you just give us your top three tips on how to start off with negotiation? Let's say they've just started a company. Uh, listen first, um, realize, you know, stop taking yourself hostage, which means if you're just starting out, you feel like you got to make a deal now. I, I mean, I got to have customers now. I got to make this deal. I got to make the rent. I got to, I got to, you know, I got to pay this week's credit card bill. And you're taking yourself hostage. Yeah. So as soon as you get out of short-term desperation, your your positive momentum will occur, will accumulate very quickly. The people that are making you desperate short-term are actually getting in the way of you meeting the people that are going to be great partners long-term. Wow, fantastic. The so short-term desperation is, is, as soon as you get out of it, you'll find in six months you are doing really well. But if you're in short-term desperation, six months from now, you're still going to be desperate. Mm -hmm. And people feel when they pick up on that energy. I know we were speaking about that before. So thank you so much, Chris. It's been an absolute honor, a privilege, a pleasure. I can't wait to see what you what you do next. I mean, you're a force to be reckoned with, I think, um, not just in the negotiation world, but you're such a gentleman. You operate with such grace, your life experience. I mean, People just need to be onto you. They need to watch your videos, follow you. But I want to hear more a little bit about the Black Swan Group. Um, I want to highlight that for all the corporate listeners listening to this. And I mean, how can we find you? How can we follow you? I know you have some exciting things happening now, you know, with your reality TV show. Tell us a bit more and like just to make sure that we've got enough stalkers for you listening to this podcast. <laughs> Well, the, the the best way to keep up on what everything the company's doing, um, the website is blackswanltd.com, B-L-A-C-K-S-W-A-N-L-T-D.com. Now, we've got a lot of stuff there. And actually, the best way to sort through it in a concise and digestible, easy way is to subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out every Tuesday morning, wherever you are in the world. Incredible. You'll get an email to you on Tuesday morning. So go in the upper right-hand corner of the website and then just click on the edge is the name of the newsletter to give you an edge. So and you only need a little bit of edge. But you will get an edge. I got an edge. <laughs> very good. Yeah. And then subscribe. And then you get a concise, actionable, single, concise, digestible, actionable article every Tuesday morning. Plus, you get notifications about all the cool stuff that we have going on. So subscribe to the newsletter. Absolutely. And I'm going to check in. I'd love to like even touch base a year from now after your show comes out. I want to see more about what you're doing. But so exciting. And thank you so much again, Chris. It's been an honor having you on the Million Dollar Branders podcast. Pleasure was mine. Thank you for having me on. 